You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tonight's scripture comes from Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And when he will answer the door from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be open. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. So good to be here with you this evening. (laughs) Maybe test that just a little bit further. Yeah, good to be here with you and to speak on prayer from Luke 11, 1 through 13 tonight. It's also good to be here Um, and be able to speak on Memorial Day weekend. And so I just want to say to anyone who has served in the military, who is currently serving in the military, or who will serve in the military, or anybody who knows anybody who has, thank you for your service. We love you. We honor you. God bless. Well, let's see. Casey asked me about three weeks ago if I'd be willing to preach on May the 30th, and he said, the choice of text is yours. And uh, so I began keeping a little list of about, uh, ended up about five or six things, and uh, after about three days of thinking and praying about it, I lit on prayer from Luke 11, and I thought, yeah, I kind of work at prayer. I might have a few things I could share on prayer that might be helpful. But my only concern was, Casey is preaching out of the book of Mark, and um, he's got a flow going, and then I'm going to come in and speak on prayer. It might be wildly out of context, and it might be out of the flow of what he's doing. So imagine my delight and my humbleness before God and thankfulness when last week's message, if you remember, Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, The disciples were trying to cast out a demon. They were not able to. Jesus did cast it out, and they said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus, the last, the last words of last week's text were, 
this kind can only be driven out by prayer. Um, I feel like that was, a, that was an answer to prayer in itself. So it's, it's with a great deal of freedom tonight that I speak on prayer, feeling that God has lined it up. Um, you know, what Jesus could have said, uh, another thing, after saying this kind can only be driven out by, tra- by prayer, the atmosphere is probably pregnant with this unasked question. It can only be driven out by prayer. How's your prayer life, guys? Did you pray about this? Um, I've heard it said that if you want to humble someone, ask them how their prayer life is going. Uh, So I come tonight to you with a question. I don't need to ask that question, do I? Um, Let's get beyond that question, though. Um, And maybe some of the embarrassment or whatever, beating up of yourself that goes along with, yeah, my prayer life could be a lot better. And let's get to another question I think is behind that can hopefully liberate us and give us some freedom in this idea of prayer, and that is this. Do you think it's even possible for the Lord and you to be pleased with your prayer life? Or are you condemned to go through life beating yourself up because your prayer life isn't what it ought to be? Is it even possible? Well, yeah, I don't think God wants us to be going around beating ourselves up. I think he knows how many hours he's given us in the week. He knows what our responsibilities are. And depending on your schedule, depending on the season of life, um, there is a prayer plan, there is a prayer life that fits your life, that you can be happy with, and you don't have to be ashamed of or embarrassed about, and that God will look down and be pleased with. And I don't think it's about number of minutes. Uh, Paul said in Colossians 4, 2, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So I hear these three words, devotion, alert, thanksgiving. I don't hear anything about minutes. I think if you're focused on the basics of prayer, the minutes kind of take care of themselves. And it might go long or it might go short. But if you're connecting with God, he's pleased. All right, so yes, I believe the answer is yeah. I think you can be uh, at a point where God is pleased and you're pleased. But chances are the answer to that question for you tonight was yeah, I could do a lot better in prayer. Um, And so I have a desired outcome. I have a goal. I have a bold goal that I've been praying about. And I've been asking God to do this. And that is this. Everyone within the sound of my voice, um, my prayer is that you would go out of here different than you came in in terms of your prayer life. I'm going to cover quite a bit of territory. And so my hope is that wherever you are in prayer, the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to speak to you about at least one thing that you could take from here that would be encouraging for you and helpful to you to grow in prayer and move closer to the Lord and closer to the prayer life that he and you are pleased with. So let me just pray right now and ask God to do that. God, I've just said it to everyone here, uh, but I ask you now, I ask you once again, as I have been asking, everyone within the sound of my voice, whether they are here live, whether they're streaming, or whether they'll see it in the future, Lord, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, not by my wisdom, certainly not by my insight, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak in such a way uh, that we are motivated to pray. We are encouraged. We are challenged. We are instructed to pray. Thank you. We We couldn't ask for a better passage. The disciples asked Jesus how to pray, and he takes 12 verses to teach them exactly what he wants them to do for prayer. So help us as we go through this passage. Speak to us too. 
just as you spoke to them down at the bottom of the Mount of Transfiguration. Speak to us now in the same way and make us more the men and women of prayer that you'd like us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Hey, before we move into that Luke passage, I have another thought, and that is this. It's kind of a dumb question. You know the answer, but it's this. Does God really want us to pray? How badly does he want us to pray? Well, you know the answer, but what scriptures do we stand on? What scriptures do we go back to that will tell us, yeah, God does want us to pray, and he really wants us to. Um, and so I have three thoughts on that. And this isn't, this isn't my main three points of the night, but it's just three points on how badly does God want us to pray. And you know what? Um, my first thought is this. Jesus gives us lavish invitations to pray. In John chapter 14, John 15, and John 16, those three consecutive chapters, um, there are two verses in each chapter. They all sound very similar. As I said, they are lavish promises. I'm just going to read through very quickly. Just roll through those. And it's John 14, 13, and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's number one. Number two, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. In the second half of uh, verse 16. Um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit, your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. John 16, 23 and 24. If you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. And then 24, until now you've asked for nothing in my name, ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. What do we make of those promises? Does he want us to pray? You bet he wants us to pray. We could get all sorts of qualifiers on those verses, couldn't we? Yeah, he promises whatever you ask, anything you ask, but this and that qualifier. Let's not do that tonight. Let's just enjoy the fact that Jesus, talking to his disciples, gave these promises. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, there are conditions for prayer, yes, but let's just bathe ourselves in that fact. He wants us to pray. He loves it when we pray. And he wants us to get our toe in there if we're not praying. All right. Um, a second thought. Does God really want us to pray? Well, I, we go to... I'll say this maybe many times tonight, but we have material for many sermons on prayer. We could choose anything we want from what Paul taught on prayer, but I'll just give us one. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Did Paul teach us to pray? Of course he did. I just quoted Colossians 4.2, another example. Ephesians 6.18, uh, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Uh, so we could go uh, many places in Paul's teaching. And then just cherry-picking one out of the Old Testament, we, we read Psalm 34.1-10. through 10. 30, uh, 34.15 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Does he want us to pray? Yes. All right. I know we knew that, but isn't it good to have so many scriptures that remind us that God wants us to pray? All right. Well, let's turn to Luke 11. And uh, Jesus was a man of prayer. You see it throughout the Gospels, but we see it nowhere as clearly as in Luke. 
So I thought I would just read a couple real brief uh, verses from the uh, book of Luke that talk about Jesus' prayer life. Luke 5.16 says, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. His disciples saw it every time, didn't they? They spent about 24 hours a day with him. So he would slip away, they'd see him slipping away to pray. Um, Luke 6, 12 and 13 says he went up to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And you know what he did the next day? When he came down from the mountain, he gathered all the disciples and he chose 12 to be his apostles. A pretty big day for him. He spent the whole night in prayer to God the night before. And, uh, and then I could give you more from Luke. I won't. Um, I tend to inundate you with scripture and I apologize. Uh, there's just so many rich verses to, to go to. So verse 11, it brings us to verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. They'd seen him praying, slipping away. They'd seen him spending all night on the mountain and numerous other places in the book of Luke. And now they said, okay, there is something to this. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And so the next uh, 12 verses, verses 2 through 13, he spends giving them a tutorial on prayer, which we get to enjoy tonight. And my outline for tonight is three points. They're Jesus' three points. Uh, verses 2 through 4, pray this way. He gives us a template. He gives us an example. Not that we are supposed to repeat it word for word, which we did in a joyful way tonight, but he gives us a template, something to follow. So we'll talk about that. And then verses 5 through 10, keep on praying. Uh, persistence, and then verses 11 through 13, because the answer is coming from a loving God, a loving Father. All right, pray this way. Keep on praying, because the answer is coming from a loving Father. So let's look at, uh, first, let's go back to verse 1. Teach us to pray. Let's not ever let ourselves get away from that question or that request. Lord, teach me to pray. The most seasoned prayers among us need to not get away from that request. Why do I say that? In Romans 8.26, Paul is writing to the Romans. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is writing these words. Um, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit speaks with, uh, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He included himself in that. We don't know how to pray as we should. Even Paul, writing scripture, said, I don't know how to pray as I ought either. The Holy Spirit has to help. So let us never outgrow that request. Lord, teach me to pray. Make me a man of prayer. Make me a woman of prayer. We ask that seriously. Is God everyone who refused that? I mean, take it 10 years to the future. What would that look like if you continue to ask, Lord, teach me to pray. Make me a man of prayer. Make me a woman of prayer. What in the world would that look like? Something to think about. All right. So Jesus says, first of all, pray this way. And uh, let me read this. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, this is a condensed version, right? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, um, by the way, how long did that take me to pray that? Nobody probably timed me, but it took about 15 seconds just at a conversational pace, took about 15 seconds to pray through that. We'll come back to that thought in just a little bit. 
But first of all, he gave us a template. And um, we all know different acronyms that help us to pray in our prayer life, that give us um, a structure to follow and, and just help us to help us to pray better. And my favorite one is P-R-A-Y. Many of you know that. I learned it 10 years ago from the KU Collegiate Navigators. Praise, P for praise, R for repent, A for ask, and Y for yield. Now, let's just take a look at that prayer. Do we find those four elements in what we call the Lord's Prayer? All right? Father, hallowed be your name. What would that, what might that be? Praise. There you go. Your kingdom come. What might that be? Your kingdom come, not my kingdom come. Yield. Did somebody say yield? It's yield. Yes. I yield my will to yours. Not my will, but yours be done. Give us each day our daily bread. What's that? Ask. Very good. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. What's that? Repent. Lead us not into temptation. What is that? That's another ask, isn't it? Okay. Um, well, that's exciting to find that our, our acronym works. Um, everything in the Lord's Prayer fits fairly neatly. You want to be careful about using neatly for any theological thing. <laughs> it fits pretty well into the P-R-A-Y, doesn't it? Um, here's how PRAY, P-R-A-Y acronym, practically helps me. Um, these days, it helps me mostly in two ways. Um, I work with ROTC students at the KU campus, and every semester we dedicate one of our Bible studies just to prayer. And so at the beginning of that study, I pass out four by six cards, and I say, okay, take, take a, we're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to set this thing up. If you uh, write down a P-R-A-Y, and if you were to praise God for one or two or three things, what would those things do? What would they be? And so I give them a minute to jot those down. Same for repent, same for ask, same for yield. And when we're done, and it's less than five minutes to do all that, they've got their prayer time set up. So whether it's 45 minutes or an hour or whatever that we spend in prayer, we have no trouble filling up that time because they've written down all these requests that they're going to pray. It also helps that uh, while someone else is praying, they are not coming up with what they're going to pray and can't listen to them pray. Uh, at least it tends to go that way. So, uh, boy, that really helps to bring some structure, some organization. It just helps to focus a little bit on prayer. You don't want everything to be organization and structure and focus. I'm, I served 33 years in the military. That's kind of where I come from. But, so, but you do want some impromptu improvisation and all, but, but it helps to have something to work from. Uh, the second way it really helps me, if I'm spending an extended time with the Lord in prayer and the Word, I have two methods that I use, and one of those is P-R-A-Y. And whether I spend 20 minutes or an hour or whatever on each of those, um, that's been a very helpful way to do it. Um, but, you know, for those of you who haven't used that, and you have a daily quiet time, and, um, and you, you're not quite sure how to structure your prayer time, boy, that's just a great way to do it. I, th I think I do that pretty much every day. I don't consciously do it anymore on a daily basis in my quiet time, but I think I do, and it's a great way to do it. Spend some time in praise. Spend some time repenting, just like we did tonight. Some time asking for yourself, interceding for others, and some time just yielding to God. Here's my life, God. Take it. Not my will, but yours be done. Of All these things I've just prayed. 
all right? Um, I like the order of P-R-A-Y, praise, repent. It's just a good order, but don't get hung up on that either, right? What order did Jesus do in his prayer? It's uh, P-Y-A-R-A, right? Pyara. That doesn't spell pray. Um, so don't get hung up, and maybe have a little bit of fun with it. My first name is Gary. If I say glorify instead of praise, I have glorify, ask, repent, and yield. That's pretty cool. Uh, so I don't think I've ever used that, but I could. And, uh, you know, do something creative. Have fun with it. Have a little inside joke with the Lord. Um, he likes it as much as you do. He's got a sense of humor. He created us, right? He's got a sense of humor. All right. Um, so how long did it take me to pray? That, that Lord's Prayer, that compact version of the Lord's Prayer. It took 15 seconds. How many items did I pray between the praise and the yield, the asks and the repent? Five things. So let's say it took an average of three seconds to pray through those items. Okay, remember I have a military background, and so I kind of go this way. Um, my prayer life isn't all just numbers, okay? But it's kind of fun. Um, just to carry this out, if I did five in 15 seconds, how many could I cover in a minute? 20, there you go, thank you. Yeah, we can, we can interact a little bit. I'm good with that. How many can we do in five minutes? 100. How about one hour? 1,200. Okay, now, my point isn't that we race through and we cover just as many things as we can and aren't I good? Didn't I do a good job, Lord? Um, the point is, you can cover a lot of ground in prayer. I believe Jesus taught that when he gave this prayer. He didn't agonize over anything. There are times when we do want to slow down and we want to take time and bathe something in prayer and maybe agonize over it. But when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he did not do that. I think he knew that they could slow down if they wanted to, but I think he was showing us you can cover a lot of ground in prayer in a short amount of time. And what can help, what helps me is my mind will get all scatterbrained and I, I can't cover and I'll forget what I prayed. What really helps me is a prayer list. And um, uh, yeah, it keeps me focused. And uh, so yeah, when I talk about 1,200 per hour, there's no way you're gonna remember 1,200. There's, there's hardly any way you're gonna remember 50 or 100. Uh, but if you've got a prayer list, something that you consistently use, um, you can keep control of that, and, and you can know what you've prayed, and when God answers, you'll know that he answered this prayer that you prayed. I started out in 2003, way late, way too late in life, but at least I did it. 2003, 18 years ago, um, with seven categories, one for each day, and I jotted these down on a little blue piece of paper, and uh, you know what? Those categories have never changed. Um, I'll give you a couple of my categories. On Monday, I pray for my immediate family, for Doreen, our kids, their loved ones. Uh, that's the focus of my prayer. On Tuesdays, I pray for extended family, my siblings, Doreen's sibling, and extended cousins and that sort of thing. And under each of those categories, you know, is a list of items. And that's, of course, grown over the years. It started out very simple, and it's grown. Well, a prayer list can really help you. And you know... You remember my prayer? I prayed, God, give somebody, give everybody something that they can use. Maybe a prayer list is something that you can take from tonight's talk 
and we'll help you with prayer. All right. So we're not in a race, but we can cover a lot of ground in a short time. Uh, all right. Very good. Notice something else about this Lord's Prayer. How complex is that prayer? Not complex at all. It's very simple. How eloquent did Jesus need to be? A child could understand. A child could repeat all those words that Jesus prayed. How eloquent do I need to be? If I take my house key to a jeweler and say, hey, this thing looks kind of bad. Could you put a gold plate on that thing? Uh, I take it home, and it may not even fit in the lock, and I have to wear it off just to, just to use that thing again. Uh, a well-worn key works just as well as a gold-plated key. Uh, so let's, we don't have to go for eloquence. Nothing wrong with eloquence. Let's not go for it. Um, if we become eloquent, wonderful, as long as we're touching the Lord. Uh, but let's not let that drive the train. Um, second thing to notice about the prayer how important is emotion uh, I love emotion I love passion I only have a limited amount of passion in my gas tank uh, so I can't be praying passionately all the time it'll wear me out um, so how important is emotion uh, Jesus did not play it up in this prayer that we just read um, emotions are good. In fact, Jesus did display emotions. Hebrews 5, 7 says that in the, day of his, in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. So Jesus was emotional in prayer sometimes. Apparently not always. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when his sweat became like great drops of blood falling on the ground, I'm sure he was very emotional at that time. Uh, but we don't always have to go for the emotions. If we do get carried along and passionate in prayer, wonderful. But if you're not, what I don't want us to do is say, because I'm not feeling passionate and emotional, I better wait. Uh, no, there's no reason to wait. <laughs> he didn't stress emotions. He didn't stress eloquence. Um, listen to this quote uh, by Warren Myers in his book, Pray. He talks about Hudson Taylor the founder of the China Inland Mission, and he says, Hudson Taylor explained that generally his heart felt like wood when praying, but this did not prevent results, for Taylor reported that most of his prayer, or of his major victories, came through emotionless prayer. And uh, I can identify with a lot of that. I can identify with emotional prayer too, but, uh, but I don't let that drive the train. Um, so... Yeah, depend on the word of the Lord to inform our prayers and not feelings. All right. So I don't need to be long-winded. I can cover a, lot, cover, cover a lot of ground in a short time. I don't need to be emotional. I don't need to uh, be eloquent. What do I need to be? Verses 5 through 10. I need to be consistent and persistent. He didn't stress eloquence. He didn't stress emotion. He didn't stress long-windedness. He did stress perseverance and persistence. Let's go to that section. By the way, this morning, I counted the words in each section. Word count is not hugely important, but it does give us a little indication of the emphasis that's being put on it. There are 262 words in tonight's passage. 45 words were in the Lord's Prayer itself. 
63 are verses 11 through 13 about the good father who answers our prayer. 154 are almost 60% are on this thought of perseverance and persistence. Jesus thought that was pretty important. And so we'll spend a little bit of time on this. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? Notice the time, midnight. Maybe millennials do that. I don't relate with this very much. Uh, At midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, so he gives a story, and then he gives the moral of the story. And I tell you, ask. And by the way, ask, seek, and knock are in the Greek present imperative. So I'm going to read it as though it's present imperative. I tell you, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. All right, so this idea of persistence. Um, New American Standard calls it persistence. ESV calls it impudence. But if you look in the margin, it says persistence. (laughs) Um, NIV calls it shameless. um, Shamelessness. There's another word that it gives. But but I think it's all of those put together. There's a shameless audacity is what NIV calls it. There's a shamelessness and there's a, a, a persistence. Shameless because, hey, it's midnight. You're waking up this guy. You're waking up his family. Probably as you persist in knocking, you're waking up the neighbors but you're shameless. You're going to do it until you get what you want. And how is it persistent? It's persistent because he's not going to stop knocking until he gets what he wants. Persistent, shameless audacity, I guess. All right. Um, Also notice, ask, seek, and knock. Each one of those three is progressively just a little more intense. Asking is one thing. Seeking is a little more intense. And then when you get there, knocking. And you're not going to stop knocking. Listen to a quote from George Mueller. George Mueller was a British pastor and founder of a large orphanage in Bristol, England in the 1800s. He kept uh, a number of journals recording 50,000 specific answers to prayer. Um, 30,000 of those 50,000, he says, were answered the same day or the same hour that he prayed them. That leaves 20,000 that took him a little longer. Um, So here's his take on persisting prayer. The great point is to never give up until the answer comes. I have been praying for 52 years, every day for two men, sons of a friend of my youth. They are not converted yet, but they will be. How can it be otherwise? There is the unchanging promise of Jehovah. Great quote. (laughs) And on that I rest. The great fault of the children of God is they don't continue in prayer. They they don't go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. Well, the postscript to that quote 
is provided by Arthur Pearson in his book, George Mueller of Bristol. Eight years after this quote was given, George Mueller talked to Pearson, and uh, he said he was still praying for those two men. Here's a, here's a quote from George Mueller of Bristol. The year before his death, uh, Mueller spoke of two parties for whose reconciliation... To God, he had prayed day by day. For over 60 years, and who had not yet, I'll just kind of say it. <laughs> to his knowledge, they had not received Christ yet. Um, he died the next year. He died never seeing. You, these men come to Christ. But Pearson, the author, goes on to say, It's not that dramatic. But one of the men received Christ shortly after um, uh, Mueller's funeral. And according to J. Oswald Sanders, the second received Christ a few years later. Um, I didn't read the quote from Mueller at the 60-year point, but he said, um, I have not a doubt. I shall meet them both in heaven. For my heavenly Father would not lay upon my heart a burden of prayer for them over three score years if he had not concerning them purposes of mercy. How many of us have prayed for two years for anything? Five years, ten years, sixty years for these two sons of a friend of his youth. Um, you suppose they're happy that he prayed for them every day for sixty years? Yeah, they're rejoicing in heaven with him right now because of Mueller's faithfulness. And that's just two of 50,000 prayer requests that are in Mueller's journal. Why this lesson from Jesus on perseverance? I think for one thing, um, he knows that the Lord doesn't always answer our prayers uh, promptly, the same hour, the same day. And he knows it's going to feel like that guy knocking on that door and the friend won't get up. He knows it's going to feel like that. And so he says, persist. Ask and keep on asking. Seek on, and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Because he knows it's going to look like that. And it's going to feel like that for us. Why else this lesson on persistence? It's so hard. It's one thing to, to put this template together and pray through it. Oh, that felt so good. It's another thing to do it the next day. It's another thing to do it the next day, the next day, the next day for a lifetime. That's a reason he taught on persistence. Why else did he teach us to persist? Because we have three, at least three enemies who hate us, who will do everything they can to stop us from praying. We have the attacks of Satan. Satan knows when we pray. 
we're going to be marshalling the forces of God against what he's trying to do, and he's going to do everything in his power to stop us from praying. He hates us. He hates God. He hates God's kingdom. He hates God's people. So we have that enemy. He uses the other two enemies, uh, the distractions and the temptations of the world. He uses those to fight against us. TV, movies, uh, video games, pornography, uh, you name it, those distractions, things that will shipwreck our faith or at least steal our time so that we're not in prayer. Let me just ask you, what are you doing with your time that is more important than prayer? I'll just ask that. Let that sit with you. He uses our third enemy. Guess what? Our third enemy is so close, it's our own flesh. Our weak, lazy, wayward, wicked flesh that, that just yearns to run after those temptations of the world, doesn't it? And Satan uses those to fight against us. Lauren Sani, former president of the Navigator, said, prayer will never be easy. It's harder for me to pray now than 10 years ago. I thought, see if you can't identify with this, we have these fond thoughts. I thought that I would reach the place where I couldn't keep from praying. We think that we're going to do that in the future, kind of, don't we? It'll get better. It'll get easier. Um, instead, I can hardly keep from not praying. Why should it be easy? It is warfare against at least those three major enemies. Um, I have daily struggles. Now, I'm up here speaking on prayer. I should know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> prayer should be easy for me. It's not. It's almost like a physical barrier. Most days, some days it's not hard. Some days it's not a struggle. Most days it is a struggle for me to pray. How do I overcome daily struggles? I thought I would just share with you some ways that I overcome daily struggles. I bet you have some good thoughts too. Here's how I overcome the daily resistance to persisting in prayer. One is have a consistent time and place. Listen to this quote from S.D. Gordon in his book, Quiet Talks on Prayer. The great people of the earth today are the people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, which is what I'm doing, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer, but I mean these people who take time and pray. They have not time. It must be taken from something else. This something else is important, very important and pressing, but still less important and less pressing than prayer. So the, the bottom line, make time for prayer. Now, everyone who's here tonight, you have busy schedules. But man, you carved out a significant chunk of time to come and be with here today. Praise the Lord. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for coming. But you know what it means. You're here. You know what it means to carve out time. The Lord wants you to do that for prayer too. Carve it out of something. That question comes back. What is it that you're doing with your time that's more important than prayer? Carve it out of that. It has to be carved out. If we wait until we feel like praying, we will rarely pray. I would just say that, right? And I know you identify. I see some nodding heads. Make time for prayer. A second way that helps me overcome the daily struggle is just to recognize and realize and admit. Disciplines are called the disciplines for a reason. It's hard work to pray. It's hard. Now, you're starting to say, hey, this sounds a little bit too works-oriented. Okay, uh, let me just make something very straight. 
uh, our justification and forgiveness for sins is by Jesus Christ's death on the cross alone. Grace through faith. That's our justification. But after that, there's this whole process of sanctification for the rest of our life. And uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 talks about the justification part. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But then verse 10 talks about the sanctification. Um, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Prayer is one of those works, and it's hard work. If it wasn't hard work, we would all be doing a lot more of it. But it is hard work. Listen to this quote from J.H. Jowett. All vital praying makes a drain on a man's vitality. True intercession is a sacrifice, a bleeding sacrifice. And I rarely get up from a time of prayer without feeling somewhat drained and tired. I mentioned I only have a limited amount of passion in my tank, and uh, I really feel it after times of prayer. Letty Kalman, in her book, Streams in the Desert, talks about this, the way she approaches it. She pictures a candle which is lit and providing light. And the reason that it's providing light is because it's burning. And she says, we want the shining without the burning. Well, prayer is hard work. We need to burn the candle in order to shine. Something else I do, uh, besides having a consistent time and place, and by the way, Hey, another great application that some of you might want to make. Begin having a more consistent time and place. If we have to figure that out every day, man, we've kind of halfway behind the battle already. Consistent time and place. Disciplines are disciplines. Just remember it and don't get put off by the fact that it's hard work. And then, if it's difficult, admitting it to the Lord. Many are the days that I started out a time of prayer just by saying, Lord, you know that I don't want to do this. You know that my heart resists this. Well, what have I done by saying that? I've become very open and honest with the Lord, and I've already got the ball rolling in prayer, haven't I? Pretty soon, you, you're praying. I mean, you start saying that way, you start out that way, you're praying. And then you've broken the ice, and it's a little bit easier. So just admitting the difficulty to the Lord. Paul Miller, in his book, um, a praying life, um, many wise things. I love the little two-word admonition, come messy. Um, if you're afraid or if your flesh is trying to use the excuse, uh, my soul's not right, my heart's not right, prayer should be easier than this. Um, I don't want to come to God, uh, I'm too messy. Um, he says, come messy. Just come messy. And as I think about it, I think, when have I ever come to God not messy? <laughs> I don't think I ever have. All right. And what about once you're in prayer and your mind is just wandering all over the place? What's a great way of helping that? Just back to a prayer list. Having a prayer list brings structure and brings a focus that my, my mind by itself, honestly, it doesn't have. All right, so that's persistence. Just some final thoughts on persistence. What does it do for us? What does persistence do for us? Well, one, it gives me a reminder and a practical application of Jesus 
words in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. It builds my trust. It, gives, it takes control, the control I thought I had, and it gives it over to God, saying, not my will, but yours be done. And it builds my trust in him when I do that over and over. It strengthens my faith as I trust and believe in his promises over and over, day after day. Lord, I'm trusting you for this. I'm trusting you for this. And then it builds my patience as I wait for God. If he was a vending machine, that wouldn't do much for our patience. All right. These are the reasons that God makes us wait and persist. He doesn't do it because he's stingy or distracted or like that guy in bed, hard of hearing. Um, And he makes it clear to us in verses 11 through 13. So let me move on to those. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Um, when I was uh, waiting uh, for people to arrive, I was listening to the worship team warming up, and they were singing the song, You're a Good, Good Father, It's Who You Are. And I'm loved by you, it's who I am. I love that song, and that's what this passage is telling us. He's a good, good father. If we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does the father know how to give good gifts to us? And he zeroes in on the Holy Spirit. Um, I love the fact that God is looking and he's listening for our cry, and we don't have to twist his arm. Um, Watching my daughter and son-in-law with our little two-year-old grandson, um, it's obvious that as they watch over him, they know immediately when there's a need. He doesn't even have to ask. He asks often, but they know beforehand what his needs are, and they take care of them. If they are able to do that, fallen human beings, how much more does God keep track of where I'm at and know how to answer I don't have to twist God's arm. I don't have to yell. Second Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. He's already looking. He's already doing a grid search. There's somebody. I want to strongly support that person. Right? He is looking. He's already looking. So when we lift up a prayer, he sees it immediately. Isaiah 30, 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. He is listening. He is waiting. And he doesn't give a scorpion. He doesn't give a snake. Ethan reminded me, one of, this is one of his favorite passages, and he reminded me just before I came up um, that God gives us things that seem like scorpions. And he gives us things that seem like snakes. And this is a reminder that he does not do that. When he gives us something that's hard and uh, is a trial, uh, it's bread and it's good and it's good for us because he loves us. He's a good and a loving father. 
I came to Christ as a cadet at the Air Force Academy in the summer of 1971. And shortly after that, my life pretty much fell apart. And uh, it became for the next three and a half years worse than anything that came before it. And, um, but in the fall of 1974, uh, I just was listening to a kind of a chance conversation that God happened to have uh, going on outside of my room. And suddenly it brought back all of those thoughts when I prayed to receive Christ in my little dorm room at the Air Force Academy. And uh, that night, uh, great conviction set in on me. And um, as I lay in bed, I cried out to God. Um, and I, I said pretty much this, Lord, I remember praying to receive you. I think I'm still saved. I think you're in my life. But just in case, Lord, would you come into my life? Would you forgive my sin for these last years? And, uh, and then number two, Lord, would you lead me to somebody who can help me study the Bible? And I don't know how much later it was. It could not have been more than a couple of days. I was in the chow hall. I sat down with my tray of food and started eating. And two guys came up to my table and sat down with me. And I noticed that they bowed their heads and prayed before eating. And then as they began to eat, they began to talk to me and they began to share the gospel with me. And stopped him and said, okay, I'm good. I'm there. Um, you guys are an answer to prayer. And, uh, and from then on, I have been walking with the Lord. Uh, not perfectly, of course, but uh, that night in that bed, I cried out to God and he was gracious at the sound of my cry. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. His eyes are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Let me just close before we go into communion with a, with a story. It's not a perfect story, but it's, it's good, and it gives us a reminder of what's important. There was a man who was traveling through a foreign country, and he was only going to be there for a short while, and he wasn't going to come back. As he was walking along a country dirt road by himself, he met a man, and this man said, uh, how's it going? Uh, shortly you're going to come. Uh, the path is going to take you to a deep valley. It's going to be so deep, it's going to be very dark when you get to the bottom of it. There's going to be a stream crossing, and you'll hear it, and you'll feel it when you go through, but it's not very deep. You'll get through it safely. Uh, but it's covered with stones, uh, the, the, the bed of the creek. And so when you're there, reach down and grab a handful of stones and put them in your pocket. And uh, when you get where you're going, you'll be happy, and you'll be sad. Okay, that was kind of weird. Uh, but he kept walking, and sure enough, he did come to that valley. And he went down, and sure enough, it was very dark. And he crossed that stream, and he remembered what he, the guy said, so he reached down, and he grabbed a handful of stones, and he put them in his pocket. And then he forgot about it, got to where he was going, and as he was changing clothes that night, uh, he you know, put his hand in his pocket, and he, oh, yeah, got these rocks. And he, as he looked at them, they were diamonds and rubies and sapphires and just all sorts of precious stones. And he was happy that he had picked those up. And he was sad that he hadn't picked up more. Well, it's not a perfect story, but it reminds us we have one shot of going through life. Jesus gives us these lavish promises. Dip your toe in prayer. Pray to me. I will do it. Call to me and I will answer you. 
I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah 33.3. So do it. I urge you. I exhort you. Work on your prayer life. Um, I've been here 10 years uh, in Lawrence. I plan to be here as long as the Lord has me here. I plan to be in this church. I am a resource. Come talk to me. If you have questions, if you want help on prayer, I am a resource. Please use me. Whether it's tonight, whether it's a month from now, whether it's five years from now, I'm here. As long as the Lord keeps me here. All right. Well, how is it that we're even able to pray? When Jesus was crucified on the cross, remember what happened inside the temple? What happened inside the temple? The veil was torn from top to bottom. The Holy of Holies was exposed for anybody who wants to come in to the Holy of Holies and present their petitions, their requests, their supplications to God. And so we thank Jesus, and we remember the night before he was crucified. He took the bread, he broke it, and he passed it out to his disciples. And he said to take it and eat it. This is my body. Every time you eat this, do it in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. He lifted it up and he said, uh, this is the blood of the covenant, my blood, shed for your forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And now, Lord, with this little wafer and juice, we can't begin to thank you enough for what you did for us on the cross. Opening the way so that not just once a year, one person can enter into your presence for the whole nation. But from now on, every single one of us, any time, night or day, at midnight or any other time, can come right into your presence and bring our praises, our confessions, our asks, and our yielding straight to you. Thank you so much for this precious privilege. I repeat my challenge to everyone. Lord, would you, Holy Spirit, in a way that I cannot do, would you touch hearts? Make us men and women of prayer. And I ask this not in my merits, I have none. I ask them in the merits of Jesus Christ, which he earned for us on the cross. Amen.